Today on Blue 58, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have done a deal, in principle, reportedly, as far as we know. Look, he's going to be back, is the point. So what does that mean for the Packers? And what does that mean for everybody else on the Packers? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. And it is over. It's done. Aaron Rodgers coming back to the Green Bay Packers for the 2022 season, and as far as we know, quite a while beyond that. Agreeing, it seems, in principle to a deal with the Green Bay Packers. The decision has been made, is the point. We don't have the final numbers on the contract yet. We'll talk about that in a second. But generally speaking, people seem to be pretty happy about this news. I asked this on Twitter today. Rodgers is coming back to the Packers. Are you happy? And of about 150 voters, 83% said yes, 17% said no. For me, I have said all along I wanted Rodgers back. I think that's the best way to to go about things is to have an elite quarterback and see where things go from there. I don't don't buy the he can't get it done in the playoffs thing because all it takes is a couple of plays going slightly differently and suddenly a guy who's unable to get it done in the playoffs, at least according to some, is suddenly getting it done in the playoffs. We've talked about that with the 2020 NFC Championship game. You know, Rodgers didn't play perfect in that game. That's pretty pretty well established. But as quote-unquote poorly as he played, Packers wide receivers don't drop two passes in the end zone. Packers probably win that game. Same kind of goes for this year's past game. If that ball that, you know, gets tipped up in the air on the block punt bounces slightly differently out of the back of the end zone for a safety instead of into a waiting 49ers player's hands for a touchdown, the Packers probably win that game too. And who knows how things go from there. The point is, having a good quarterback is the most efficient way to win in the NFL, and Aaron Rodgers is a good quarterback. But this is all kind of beside the point, because the other thing I've said all along here is that this is the boring part. Whether or not Aaron Rodgers came back to the Packers is significant, but not that interesting. The interesting thing is what comes next. If Rodgers didn't come back to the Packers, either because he retired or because he wanted to be traded or whatever, then things get wild and crazy. If he does come back, then we've got to start asking some different questions. What kind of space does this get the Packers? Who do they fit in around him? What does the future of the Packers look like beyond 2022, beyond 2023, beyond 2024? We can't get to some of those questions, but we're going to start getting answers pretty soon on some other ones. The first one, what kind of space does this get the Packers? That obviously is going to depend on his contract numbers. The deal itself is not clear yet. Ian Rappaport came out and said it's a four came out and said it's a four-year, two hundred million dollar extension. That was walked back a little bit from some pushback from Pat McAfee, of all people, who, you know, obviously has the ear of Aaron Rodgers, so he's got some good information. I still kind of believe it's going to be around that four-year, $200 million thing, and here's why. I don't think it's a straight four-year, $200 million deal because, you know, averaging $50 million a year because of structure issues. It would take some interesting maneuvering to make that a true four-year, $200 million thing. The structure is going to be interesting. We'll talk about it more when we've got it. In terms of what this means, I think we have to start with Aaron Rodgers, because I think this is a big legacy moment for Rodgers. I think for all intents and purposes, 
He is a Packer for life now. Whatever that means, good or bad. But the fact that it exists at all is not nothing. Aaron Rodgers has made it abundantly clear that he is aware of how things went down with Brett Favre, and he has taken pains to publicly say he wanted to avoid that. We were well down that path, though, and we may still be pretty far down it. It may be irreversible in some people's minds that Aaron Rodgers is turning into the, the drama magnet that was Brett Favre. But by agreeing to this deal late in his career with the Packers, he is, for, again, all intents and purposes, stepping away from that Farvian cycle, for now at least. He is going to be under contract for a few more years. So unless he decides to retire, and that still is a possibility, he's going to be with the Packers. They can't really move on from him right now. And I think in terms of his legacy, that is a good thing. Few guys get to walk away from a team that they've played with for their entire career on their own terms. And whatever you think of Aaron Rodgers at this point, I think it's a good thing for football and for the Packers that he is, at least in theory, going to be able to do that. And I feel like I'm putting qualifiers on everything. That's just, I don't want to say PTSD because that minimizes actual PTSD, but I think it's just a a function of the climate we've been in now for almost a year. We don't know what anything means beyond the immediate future. But for right now, it looks like all this stuff is settled with Rodgers and the Packers. And I do think it's a good thing that he, at least in theory, another qualifier, is going to be with the Packers for life. I think that's a good thing for the Packers. I think it's a good thing for football that you don't have to see another great player finish his career with a different team or have to walk away from the game altogether because the team that he wanted to be a part of was going in a different direction and he was not ready to play for somebody else. That is a good thing. And again, no matter what you think of Rodgers, I hope you can see how that's good for football and good for the Packers. Now, taking a step beyond Rodgers, let's picture this as like concentric circles. You know, we've got Aaron Rodgers in the middle. The next layer out, I think, is Devontae Adams. There is an interesting interplay here. Because football contracts are kind of a zero-sum game. If you get more money, that means there's less money for somebody else. And in theory, at least, Aaron Rodgers signing a big deal does make it a little bit harder for Devontae Adams to get his big deal from the Packers. And it seems like he's pretty set on being the highest-paid player in the NFL and breaking $30 million per year. In the meantime, he has been franchise tagged because the Packers want to pair him with whoever their quarterback is going to be. But a deal has got to get done. Because the Packers cannot live with this franchise tag number. 20 point something, 21-ish million dollars guaranteed on the books as of the start of the league year if they can't get a long-term deal done. So they're going to get something done. They have to. Otherwise, they're going to be hamstrung who knows how long until it gets done. And Rodgers' deal does affect that in a way. But Rodgers' deal also makes it more possible that the Packers get something done with Adams because it frees up more cap space. I think that's pretty well understood at this point. 
I think there's some uh, other downstream effects that we have to explore. First, I think assuming that something gets done with Devontae Adams, the next thing you're going to see happen is Jair Alexander get an extension because that too frees up some cap space. Beyond that, Rasul Douglas, Devondre Campbell, and Robert Tunyon are the big questions you have to answer. Devontae Adams, the Packers obviously want to get something done with. They want to figure that out as quickly as they can because it affects a lot of things that go on with their team. Jair Alexander is a lesser version of that. And then they've just got to worry about shoring up some holes on their roster. Bringing back guys who had great seasons in 2021 and Campbell and Douglas and I guess to a lesser extent Tunyon fall into that. But these are all things that couldn't happen until Aaron Rodgers agreed to come back to the Packers and they could get a contract done and that could start the domino chain, Devontae Adams, Jair Alexander, and so on. There are downstream effects. Another downstream effects is Devontae Adams and the record books. If and when he returns to the Packers, and I think we have every reason to assume that he will, he is likely going to end up holding every Packers receiving record. He is not far off of the all-time lead for receptions. He's probably got two seasons to go to get to the receiving yards number. And most interestingly at all of all, he has, I think, a real shot to catch Don Hudson in terms of the all-time receiving touchdowns number. After 2021, Devontae Adams had 73 career receiving touchdowns. Don Hudson has 99, had 99. And then six additional touchdowns accumulated in various other ways. It is very possible, I think, that Devontae Adams catches him, which would be very, very cool and a huge, huge thing in Packers history. That is what is on the table for these contracts here. We're talking big-time legacy stuff for both Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. Then finally, we've got to talk about one guy, Jordan Love. First and foremost, you can't not feel a little bit bad for him. He did not ask for this. I have been, I think, as openly critical of the pick as anybody. But it is worth remembering that he did not ask to be put in the middle of this. He did not ask for the Packers to trade up for him and bring him to Green Bay where he was going to either explicitly or implicitly compete with Aaron Rodgers to be the quarterback of the Packers at some point. Now Aaron Rodgers has definitively won that competition. Jordan Love is not the quarterback of the future in Green Bay because the Packers would have to sign him to a contract extension to get there. It's not going to happen. So what happens next for Jordan Love? Most likely right now, I would say he doesn't get traded because it doesn't do a whole lot for the cap for the Packers. Having a backup quarterback who is, at least in theory, good is never a bad thing. And unless somebody knocks your socks off with an offer, there's really no reason to move him just to move him. Now that said, the free agent quarterback market is bad because it's always bad. Good for, good quarterbacks don't reach free agency. This is also, supposedly at least, a weak quarterback draft class. There may be a market out there for Jordan Love. So, what do you take for Jordan Love? Kind of a complicated question. 
I don't think you just take anything for him. The Packers moved Brett Hundley for a six a couple of years ago. Surely you want to do better than that. Jordan Love, by all accounts, is a better prospect than, than Brett Hundley was. But how high do you go? Josh Rosen went from the Cardinals to the Dolphins for two and a five. That, to me, seems like about the ceiling for Jordan Love. Somewhere between a two and a five and a six. Hopefully on the upper end of that spectrum. Now, if someone starts calling and saying, you know, I might do a two for Jordan Love, maybe you stick it to him a little bit and say, you you do a two, would you do a one? Got a couple other people calling here. What do you think? It's a weak class. You can get this guy. You like him a lot. If you didn't like him, you wouldn't be calling. Turn the screws a little bit. The Packers have really no reason to move quickly on this. They can wait. Though I think it would ultimately behoove them to trade Jordan Love, and here's why. With Aaron Rodgers extending his deal, at some point those cap hits are going to start getting bigger. Even if you drive the cap number down a little bit in the short term, they're going to get big at some point. The same goes with Devontae Adams. You sign him to a contract extension, eventually he gets expensive on your cap. And so on and so on and so on. It gets harder to keep guys like Devondre Campbell, Razul Douglas, Robert Tunyon, so on. Everybody understands that. So how do you replace those guys? What is the best way to get cheap talent onto your team? It's through the NFL draft. And to get a bunch of cheap talent on your team, you need a bunch of draft picks. And how do you get draft picks? Well, Either you just wait and get the seven that you're allowed at every year, or you accumulate them them via trade. Or compensatory picks, of course, too. But this is an opportunity for the Packers to add cheap talent. In theory, they don't need talent at quarterback. Aaron Rodgers has that covered. But they do need talent elsewhere. They will need talent elsewhere because it's going to be harder to keep some of that talent elsewhere. So they've got to get some draft picks. If they get an opportunity, they should move on. They don't have to rush, but if there's an opportunity, there's a lot of incentives for them to have additional means of acquiring young, cheap talent. And Jordan Love is the opportunity to do that. Again, feel bad for them, for the guy. He didn't ask for this, but he's getting it. That is for sure. Before we talk about our uh, final major position group, I wanted to mention something about T Public. As I've mentioned a couple times over the past couple weeks, we have shipped our, or changed our merch over to T Public. We've got a bunch of designs up there. You can find a link in your show notes for this episode. Check it out. There's a bunch of great stuff there, and we now offer a bunch of different products too: stickers, magnets, notebooks, uh, phone covers, laptop cases, all kinds of stuff. It's pretty neat. But recently learned that uh, TeePublic offers some great international shipping. Uh, A listener from Scotland ordered something, and I believe it arrived there in just a couple of days. Incredibly fast overseas shipping. So if you are an international listener, you want to rep some stuff from the power sweep around the world, you can do so with TeePublic. Affordable international shipping, it'll get to you quick. I encourage you to check it out. And if you're not international. I have to imagine it comes to you that much faster, which by all intent or by all indications is going to be pretty fast too. So check it out. Links in your show notes. Uh, just another way that you can continue to support the power sweep. All right. We're going to talk defensive backs today. 
Overall, I think the defensive backfield for the Packers was pretty good. The goods were good. The bads, though, fairly bad still. And I think that's kind of the nature of defensive backs. It's a high-variance position. So as a, in a position group as a whole, you're going to see a lot of variation. Take, for instance, the bottom three guys in snap counts this year. We're going to talk about them all three at once. Vernon Scott, Ennis Gaines, and Sean Davis. Why do we group them all together? Well, together, they played a combined total of exactly zero snaps on defense. Three guys, not one of them stepped on the field on defense all season long. They did manage, between the three of them, a combined 31 snaps on special teams. I don't really have anything good to say about each of these guys because there's not really a whole lot to go on. But let's talk about Vernon Scott for a second. What the heck happened to him in 2021? To refresh your memory, he was active for the Packers for 15 games in 2020, ended up playing 89 snaps on defense, 184 on special teams. Has that nice special teamer build and skill set. Pretty athletic, pretty big guy. You can see him covering kicks and punts and stuff like that. So what gives? The Packers clearly decided they did not want to play him on defense in 2021. They also didn't want to play him on special teams. So why keep him on the roster in 2021 at all? I don't have an answer for you. It's just kind of weird. In terms of 2022 stuff, all three of these guys probably get another look. Vernon Scott, I would say for sure. Beyond that, who knows? Innes Gaines was a preseason star. He hits big. Uh, Sean Davis was a guy. Packers went out of their way to get him. I don't know. Packers could use a third safety, though, because Henry Black is not it. We'll talk about him in a second. Shamar Jean Charles is the guy who played the fewest snaps while actually getting some snaps on defense. Managed 37 for the Packers in 2021, along with 231 on special teams. Making it as a day three pick isn't nothing. That's not assured for anybody, especially given the state of the defensive back group when he arrived. There was maybe one cornerback spot up for grabs from the get-go, especially after the Josh Jackson trade brought Isaac Yadam along. But Gene Charles made it. He didn't really have any impact on the defense, really, just a body on special teams. As a result, his bottom line for this year is that basically just the closest you can get to a redshirt year without it being basically a redshirt year. His 2022, I think, is going to depend largely on Chandon Sullivan. If Sullivan leaves, Gene Charles has a real, real opportunity. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Pretty simple. Speaking of Isaac Yadam, he's next up. 95 snaps on defense in 2021, 305 on special teams. The good news coming from Yadam's 2021 is he showed the Packers that they really had to keep making a move after Jair Alexander went down. He was out there for really one significant drive, and it immediately became clear that he was not the answer. Enter Rasul Douglas, and the rest is history. He was basically a special teams only guy. And I mentioned that, I've got it in my outline at least, under the bad for him in 2021. It's not honestly that big of a downside. Looking at his career to date, we knew that was going to be the gig for him. And it turned out to be. The bottom line is that he's special, or solidified special teams. Don't ask for a whole lot more from him than that. He is an unrestricted free agent. Wouldn't be surprised either way if he's back or if he's not. It does seem like he's fairly replaceable. Jair Alexander, sadly, is up next. 219 snaps on defense, did not play on special teams. He looked like he was going to be at or above his 2020 season in 2021. 
just the way that he was moving on the field, that interception early in the season, just incredible stuff. But then he bangs up his shoulder, and that's it for him, though he did make it all the way back. Your lasting image for him of 2021, at least for me, is him getting trucked by Debo Samuel Samuel in the backfield on what turned out to be a decisive third down play. Makes it all the way back, has a chance to make a stick in the hole, and just can't. Gets bullied, Samuel runs for the first down. In effect, game over. However, heading into 2022, he is probably going to get a contract extension. And I think as a result, for me at least, he heads into 2022 on the short list for guys with the most to prove. He's got to prove that he can get back to where he was in 2020. He's got to prove that it wasn't a fluke. He's got to prove, I think, that he's still an ascending player. I think there's no reason he can't do all of those things. In fact, I would expect him to. But there's a lot riding on his 2022. Expectations should be pretty high. I think he can meet them handily, but they should be high too. Henry Black played 262 snaps on the Packers defense in 2021. Another 315 on special teams. If you're talking about good stuff, he was another warm body. The 315 snaps on special teams is the story here because on defense he was 2021 Will Redmond. He allowed a passer rating of 107.5 this season when targeted, and that includes an interception. That's how profitable it was to throw at Henry Black. Overall, I hate the expression just a guy, but he was very much just a guy. And I think the Packers have to be looking for more help as at their third safety spot heading into 2022. I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted a guy there and pretty high too. Kevin King is up next. 303 snaps on defense, 31 on special teams. The good news for King is that he was no longer really a liability in 2021. He got torched pretty good in week one. I wouldn't go so far as to call him good, but he wasn't making the Packers defense other than that one misstep early in the season. He wasn't making the Packers defense actively worse when he was on the field. The soft bigotry of low expectations. Bad news on King. I don't know what to make of this, but a lot of people have done the Kevin King was good actually take in various corners of the Packers internet. And I don't really buy that because Kevin King being non-detrimental to the Packers defense seemed to be contingent on him not playing very much. Wow, you managed to not screw up all that much in 300 snaps. That's what, five, six a game? Good for you. Good job. And that's coming off an extension that made him fairly expensive in both 2021 and it looks like 2022. It made zero sense at the time and it got worse considering how the rest of the cornerback market moved. The Packers could have had Rasul Douglas for cheaper to begin with. And it still took injuries to Jair Alexander, and it seems just about everybody else for him to get to Green Bay. And when he got there, he wildly outplayed Kevin King. The bottom line, I guess he was fine. He did some dime safety stuff, which is a plus, but that's not what you're supposed to be doing if you're Kevin King. He's, and of course, he's never going to be what he was supposed to be. For cap reasons, he'll probably be back in 2022. I don't fully understand why this deal is the way it is, but cheaper to keep him, I guess, at this point. Maybe he'll just play the Henry Black role and that'll be fine. I think they're hoping for better. Rasul Douglas, 
incidentally, is up next. Uh, He played 680 snaps on defense in 2021, 85 on special teams. Good news for him. Good story stuff from him is literally everything. Fantastic story arriving out of nowhere, playing a huge role for the Packers defense, bunch of interceptions, two touchdowns. Back in the dark ages of Madden, which for me is like 2003, there used to be strategy guides for the game. There still are for all I know, but I would love, I loved buying strategy guides for video games. It was almost for me as good as playing. Just love pouring through them, all the little details, stuff like that. But he'd have been one of those guys and one of those strategy guys that would get mentioned, hey, this guy actually has really good stats and it's probably underrated. So if you run a franchise mode, sign him if you can. That's what his 2021 reminds me of. It's a guy who's lightly regarded, but has a lot of positive attributes. Great agility on the field, great ball skills. And if a couple things break his way, suddenly you end up with five interceptions and two touchdowns or whatever it is. The bad news for Douglas is this is probably as good as it's ever going to be. Interceptions are fickle. If you are out there for more and more reps, teams start to, to figure out how you play and take advantage of that. He loves to go after the ball, and teams are going to figure that out and take advantage. His 2022 is complicated as a result. Someone is going to try to pay for those interception numbers. It's People have not entirely, as big a deal as analytics have become, league-wide people are still really bad at using them. And they fall back, I think, on box score stats a lot of the time. And interceptions are a really attractive box score stat. If you can get a lot of interceptions, people figure a pretty good cornerback. But that may not always be the case. Maybe they're throwing at you a lot because you're not very good. And you just happen to be picking the ball off at a higher than expected rate. I don't think that's the case with Rasul Douglas, but I think there are guys like that throughout the league. Someone is going to try to pay for those interceptions and say, hey, come pick off five passes for us this year. And for whatever it's worth, I hope he gets every penny he can. This is a huge opportunity. You went from being close to out of the league to a Pro Bowl caliber season, and now you've got a chance to hit unrestricted free agency. Dude, go get as much money as you possibly can. This opportunity is not going to come along again. But it just may not be in Green Bay. Chandon Sullivan, next up. 827 snaps on defense, 32 on special teams. If you love that Mike McCarthy quote about availability being the best ability, Chandon Sullivan is your guy. He hasn't missed a game since he arrived in Green Bay. 16, 16, 17. Games played. The bad news is that he has regressed every year in ever larger role. His best season was 2019 when he played the fewest amount of snaps, but was really dynamic in those snaps. His pro football focus rating has gone down as his snap counts have gone up, and I see little reason from what I've seen on the field to dispute that. He's really just a guy. But you do need guys to fill out your roster, and there are worse guys out there than Shannon Sullivan. So looking ahead to 2022, I think the the Sullivan question is, how do the Packers feel about Shamar Jean Charles? Or, maybe more to the point, how easily do you think you can find another Chandon Sullivan? Do you have one already in Jean Charles? Can you find another one in the draft or free agency? Sullivan is certainly not the priority at cornerback. Resigning Douglas would be if they decide to go that route. But how much money do the Packers have after they get that figured out, if they want to bring Douglas back? I don't have an answer there. I don't know what Sullivan is worth. 
but that's the conversation the Packers are going to have to have. Eric Stokes, 935 snaps on defense in 2021, 45 on special teams. I think this was just about everything you could ask for from a rookie defensive back. He played 16 games, had 15 ball hawks. Looked the part is one of those draft brainwave sort of just vague descriptors. But you kind of know what it means. You feel what it means. He did look the part. He didn't look out of place when he was out on the field. I'm still a little bit concerned about his ball skills. I think you could see that multiple times throughout the season. He had real trouble tracking the ball when it was in the air. Guys would end up getting catches on him that he should probably have come up with interceptions on. But I think that is a learnable skill. And I think you could see a lot of Stokes' game. He's still kind of figuring out that, oh, I've got the athleticism to play at the NFL level. Like, I don't have to worry about guys running past me or getting lost running with them when the ball's in the air because I can run step for step with anybody. He was really good in 2021. I don't have a lot of complaints. The challenge for him is going to be taking a step forward, but I think he's going to be in a conducive environment to doing that. He's going to have at least as much support in the rest of the secondary as he did in 2021. If Jair Alexander's out there, he won't even have to be really the top guy. It's going to be be a good year for Stokes to still be learning, is what I'm trying to say. Last two guys are both back-enders, safeties. First is Darnell Savage. 1,038 snaps on defense in 2021, 18 on special teams. If you squint, you can see the good. He can still close fast. He's still got range. He's still versatile. He's probably the best all-around athlete in the secondary. Eric Stokes is faster. Savage is better on the change of direction stuff. Theoretically, he's at least more versatile. I say theoretically because we haven't necessarily seen a whole lot of that. The bad news for Savage is that the tools aren't really translating often enough. He is missing opportunities, dropping interceptions, being slightly out of position, and it's costing him, it's costing the Packers. He is a high-variance player at a position where any variance means a big play or even a touchdown, and that is not ideal. In 2021, if you were going to target anyone in the Packers secondary, it was going to be him or Henry Black, but Black wasn't out on the field as much as Savage was. He does not make you pay for throwing at him as often as he should, and he cannot tackle consistently enough to really be counted on as the last line of defense, or really even, I think, as a slot contributor. So the Packers are still kind of waiting to see if Savage figures it out, and that's not a good place to be heading into, what, your fourth season now. The Packers got to think long and hard about his fifth-year option, which is going to come due here pretty soon. Picking up Rashawn Gary is a no-brainer, obviously, but Darnell Savage, I think, less so. They may be better served to just play things out and try to extend him after the season. And then if he's no good this year, they can let him walk. Considering they still probably need to draft a third safety for 2022 anyway, you might just be best off looking at this as like a soft position battle. Draft another safety, see if he beats out Darnell Savage in the short term. If not, you just let him grow into the role for 2023 and beyond. As much as you want to see guys blossom over time, sometimes it's just a, a, a matter of realism. They're just not blossoming quickly enough if they're ever going to do it at all. And that may be savage. Finally, Adrian Amos. 1,048 snaps on defense, 15 on special teams. More of the same from Adrian in 2021. I would describe him as the spiritual successor to Morgan Burnett. Just a steady Eddie player. Not going to make you a ton of plays, but he'll make enough. 
he's not going to screw it up for you, that's for sure. He's pretty versatile, but most of all, he is reliable. He's going to be where he's supposed to be all the time, period. The bad for him in 2021 really wasn't his fault. He spent a lot of 2021 covering for Darnell Savage. If I'm going to nitpick, I would say I would like a little bit more out of him as a box safety, but Joe Barry doesn't really do that anyway, so that's not a super big complaint. He was really good again. And for all the Bears fans that said, ha-ha, Clinton Dix would be better with better players around him, well, ha-ha is still out of the league, or on the fringes of the league. And Adrian Amos is playing every snap in every game for the Packers. How do you like them apples? Maybe some contract adjustments this offseason, but he's going to be back. There's no reason to go anywhere else other than uh, other with, than with 31 in the secondary. Probably the single most dependable player on the Packers' defense. And it's been that way for a couple of years now. Adrian Amos is a good guy to have around. And I'm glad he's on the Green Bay Packers. So I've got for you in this episode, I appreciate you listening in. A little bit of extra stuff in this one. 33 minutes and counting. Good stuff. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking around for the whole episode. Thank you for your continued support of the Power Sweep. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you would share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. That's the number one way we grow. We get more people to listen by you telling people to listen. In turn, that's going to help all of us through growing this conversation around the Green Bay Packers, become smarter Packers fans, me included. I need your help doing that. And in that process, all of us are going to become smarter Packers fans together. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.